There are some people who say, God is love. Okay, maybe he is. God certainly loves, but there are things that God hates. Joe, how can you say God hates anything? God hates divorce. Look it up, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. And the truth is, you probably do too, especially if you've been through more than one. Divorce causes misery, but so does a rotten marriage. But you don't have to choose to live in either the pain of divorce or the misery of your marriage. Interested in the alternative? Well, that is what we're going to talk about. Again, this is an excerpt from my new book, The Whole World is Going Crazy, But You Don't Have to, Scriptural and Psychological Healing. I have a couple of chapters devoted to marriage because it matters so much the quality of your marriage, the quality of your relationships to the success of your life in so many different ways. Now, the truth is some marriages should just never have happened. It's tough when you blow what is perhaps the most significant decision of your life, and you might think you fall into that category, but maybe not. And maybe you're in that group that's gotten married and divorced, and you're saying to yourself, I understand the misery completely. I don't need to listen to it. I got it, Joe. I got the misery part. And besides, now I've found the perfect spouse. <laughs> Wait. How do you know that you're not making the same mistake? According to some estimates, the divorce rate for first marriages is almost 50%. For second marriages, 60%. And if you're really good at reading trends, but not particularly good at choosing spouses, you might be able to guess the rate for divorce for third marriages. 70%. Yep, it just does not seem that we get better at making this choice with experience. Now, maybe you're unmarried and you're wondering if you should skip this whole idea talking about marriage. It's like, well, no, I don't need to. I'm not married, Joe. Don't listen. Why? Well, because first of all, you're listening to this podcast. But more importantly, the information that I'm talking about here can be applied to all of your relationships. And you might choose to marry, which could be awesome. The U.S. Declaration of Independence states that the pursuit of happiness is protected as a fundamental human right with life and liberty. You have the right to pursue it. But how do you find it? The answer, the quality of your relationships will determine your happiness more than anything else. That's right. More than the perfect job, more than the mansion on a hill, more than winning the lottery, more than having the ideal body. One of the most challenging yet rewarding client populations I work with is couples. It's rewarding because I know from research and experience that a happy marriage makes for a happy life, almost to the exclusion of everything else. Yes, you can probably have healthy, loving marriage and still suffer from anxiety, depression, other, other psychological maladies. But the relationship can greatly support healing with these other problems. So why is couples therapy so tricky? Well, for several reasons. With individuals, you have one version of the story. Of course, the excellent therapist must use their imagination, fill in what is not being said or done by the other people not in the room, but in their life, and, the cha and then challenge the client as to what's really going on. But it's generally not contentious. Right? As a therapist, you listen to what the client is saying, and you offer support based on what they're telling you. But with couples, you have two people in the room, usually with two very different versions of what's going on, and it can get heated. 
So during these times, I sometimes have to revert to my days of being a cop and take on a more active and controlling role. Stop. I hear what you're saying, but right now I need to hear from your spouse, I say. And one person generally doesn't like that, while the other smiles victoriously. (laughs) And then the tables turn. In cases where there's constant fighting and volatile environment at home, studies show that it's healthier for children to be raised in a more peaceful single-parent home. What, Joe, are you advocating divorce? No, I'm advocating for a healthy marriage. Ditch the volatility and discord and strive for peace. But how do you get there? Well, people give many reasons why their marriage ended. Finances, poor communication, differences over parenting, addiction, and infidelity. And these are all problematic. But there is one primary reason. And you can fully appreciate the one main reason why divorce occurs. Then you can avoid it. But before I tell you why divorce occurs, I want to give you several reasons and motivations why you should fight for a healthy marriage and a few facts. Researchers have found that marriage has a wide range of benefits, including improvements in individuals' economic well-being, mental and physical health, and the well-being of their children. Those who are married tend to live longer, have fewer strokes and heart attacks, have a lower chance of becoming depressed, are less likely to have advanced cancer at the time of diagnosis, and are more likely to survive cancer for a more extended period of time, and endure a major operation more often. Studies have found that people in happy relationships have more robust immune function than those who are not. Married people take fewer risks, eat better, and maintain healthier lifestyles. A healthy marriage supports better mental health. The married have lower rates of depression, loneliness, and social isolation, which have been associated with poor health outcomes. Marriages associated with shorter average hospital stays, fewer doctor visits, and reduced risk of nursing home admission. Married people and those in committed relationships are happier than single people. And if the dollars and cents matter, singles make less money than their married peers. And how does marriage affect your kids? Research shows that children raised by their married biological parents tend to be healthier, both mentally and physically, and do better in school than children not raised within marriage. Married parents are more likely to stay together than cohabitating ones. Two-thirds of cohabitating parents split up up before their child reaches age 12, compared with one-quarter married parents. There's a wealth of evidence that children raised by their biological married parents have the best chance of becoming happy, healthy, and morally upright citizens in the future. Mothers and fathers have unique and complementary roles in children's development. One study found that adults who perceived their mothers as available and devoted to them in childhood were less likely to suffer from depression and low self-esteem and more likely to be resilient in dealing with life events. Involved fathers produce children with better emotional health and attain higher job status as adults. Married parents seem better able to offer more love and attention. This makes children less likely to engage in behaviors such as premarital sex, substance abuse, delinquency, and suicide. A healthy marriage provides a model for children's future marriage. Children of divorce have a shattered template for marriage, causing them to distrust marriage and avoid it in the near future. And studies have found that these children are twice as likely to cohabitate before marriage and divorce. 
compared to children with living with single parents, children conceived by married parents are safer. They are less likely to be aborted and are less likely to be abused or neglected. Children with married parents fare better economically. In the United States, poverty rates among children living with single mothers are five times higher than those of children living with married parents. A 2000 study of 11 industrialized countries found that children living in single-parent families have lower math and science scores than children in two-parent families. And these are research statistics. This isn't my opinion. I could go on and on, but I don't want you to get bored. Right? I'm, not, right, I'm not talking just science here. I'm talking about your life. And I simply want you to know that there is considerable science behind the value of marriage for you and your children. Now, back to my question. Why do marriages and relationships fail? Drum roll, please. Distance. Research shows that 80% of marriages break up because couples grow apart. They lose a sense of closeness and do not feel loved or appreciated. I've never once heard a couple say to me, Oh, we feel so bonded and close. The intimacy is just incredible. We just really like to fight. Or, I feel great about myself and my spouse and we love sharing our lives. But then I thought, nah, an affair might be a good idea. We usually make good and bad decisions for understandable reasons. I'm not saying good reasons but understandable. When you lose that sense of closeness, all the other problems arise. So I could talk extensively about the issues that occur in marriage, but it would probably become both of us to become depressed right now. And that would not be what is most beneficial for you. So again, let's focus on solutions. Many troubled marriages can be repaired. And that might be hard to believe at times, but it's true. Research suggests that couples who can manage their conflict usually end up happier down the road than couples who divorce. Like faith in God, you may not see how things will work out. You don't have to have the answers, but you trust. That's faith. Trust. Even if you can't imagine having a loving marriage free of dysfunction, it doesn't mean it can't happen. Sometimes you have to hold on until you can begin making that journey toward one another again. And there are steps you'll have to take, but you've got to first give yourselves that opportunity. Now, this doesn't mean that you're to tolerate abuse. I firmly believe that you have a moral obligation to do everything possible to keep yourself and your children safe. Domestic violence can cause lasting damage to yourself and your children if they witness the abuse. I've worked with hundreds of clients who, even as adults, will bear the scars of domestic violence in their home. But healing is possible. If you're in an abusive relationship, get help now, professional help. Some people can and want to provide support. If I were to talk about domestic violence, it would take hours and hours right now. But right now, I want to talk about how you can turn your marriage around and take those first steps toward each other. If you're like most, it's probably easiest to see what your spouse is doing wrong. This doesn't make you a bad person. It's somewhat natural and a problem that Jesus addressed. He said, Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye, 
when you don't even notice the wooden beam in your eye, you hypocrite. Remove the wooden beam from your eye first. Then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. That's from Luke chapter 6. So it requires great humility to look at your part. But that is what is necessary to stop the fight. You will make no progress in moving toward one another while you're fighting. During an argument, you're not looking at solutions. You're not solving problems because your brain isn't in that creative mode. Your brain is in fight or flight mode. And it's only interested in survival. Now, I've heard some therapists speak and write about teaching couples how to fight fair. In my opinion, this is an absurd notion. By definition, a fight is about winners and losers. The late great comedian Phyllis Diller once wisely joked that the problem with winning a fight with your spouse means you have to go to bed with a loser. If your goal is to restore your marriage, you must first let go of the fight, hurting or killing the relationship, and flight, leaving the relationship, either literally and or emotionally. If you're still married but feel nothing, it may mean that you've checked out emotionally. you fled. And again, this can be understandable because feelings can become so overwhelming that you check out as a self-protective measure. You may believe this serves you, but you don't want to make this feeling your lifelong position. Remember, your feelings are part of what makes you human. Jesus felt so profoundly at his passion that he sweat blood, but he didn't cut himself off from his feelings. Positive feelings can return if you allow yourself to feel and take positive steps to restore the marriage. They will not return, however, if you focus exclusively on what is wrong in the union, wrong with your spouse, or even what is wrong with yourself. It only gives you fuel to fight. Remember, the goal is to restore the marriage, not to make your spouse a loser. So how do you stop the fighting? Recognition of your wrongdoing is the first step. I've rarely seen couples continue to fight in my office if one says, hey, I'm sorry, I've, I've made a mess of things. I see what I'm doing wrong. This isn't simply an apology and it doesn't fix the relationship. It is about taking responsibility for your actions. Paul writes about criticism in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, you are without excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For by the standard by which you judge another, you condemn yourself. Your critical spirit boomerangs. Ask yourself what you want to, how you want to be treated. Now treat your spouse similarly. This doesn't mean you whitewash poor behavior. Instead, it means you speak about it in a way oriented toward reconciliation. Now, this might mean you hold off on having tough conversations until you can do so without anger or criticism. But you can't change anything about your behavior or thinking if you don't first take a beat and reflect on what you're doing. Reflecting on your behavior isn't just about getting you to the point where you can say, oh, sorry. Sorry alone doesn't change behavior or solve problems. Although asking for forgiveness is powerful. And when one, when one does take responsibility for their actions, this is not the opportunity for the other person to point out everything else that they're doing wrong. Instead, use this as an opportunity for you to confess your wrongdoing, contributing to the relationship's demise. 
Once you begin acknowledging, contributing to the relationship's demise, then you confess your wrongdoing. Once you begin acknowledging your failures, the fighting stops, and you've now created the atmosphere in which to talk about solutions and work your way back toward one another. Even in extreme cases where there's been an affair, there was probably a breakdown in the relationship that precipitated the infidelity. It's not about taking the blame or responsibility for someone else's wrong actions, but allowing yourself to see your part. So we talked about guilt and shame. You don't want to continue beating yourself up about what you've done. Acknowledge your mistakes and take corrective steps. This is a big topic, and we're going to talk more about the solutions to solve the problems of your marriage in this next podcast. I will meet you back on the road. And remember, always forward.